Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. So totally random, but every now and then I will type my address into Zillow and I'll be like, hey, babe, our house is worth, you know, fill in the blank. (laughs) To which my husband always replies, our house is only worth what someone will pay for it. Mm. But the price paid is what determines the value. So something's only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. He's absolutely right, right? doesn't matter what what it's worth on paper if nobody's going to pay that amount to buy it. Anyway, um, you could say, well, you know, we've got some land. We, you know, we've got a new roof. We've got whatever. This increases the value of your home. But a house is truly only worth what someone's going to pay for it. So how do you determine your worth? What are you worth? Well, if you're worth what someone will pay for you, Jesus paid his life for you and me. That's it. And so, you know, we're not, our worth isn't determined by what we do. You know, we can't increase our value or decrease our value based on our performance. Praise Jesus from whom all blessings flow. Cause that is exhausting. Believing that to be true. Cause some days I'm, you know, some days I do pretty good and I feel pretty great. I feel like I'm more valuable, but then there are days when I feel like I've seriously blown it. Recently been through one of these, right? Felt like total crash and burn. But praise God, my value, your value isn't determined by our performance. So when you're doing well, when you're blowing it, you're still of great value because our worth is not determined by any of these things. Also, our worth isn't determined by what we own. It's not about the car that you drive or the labels that you wear or the house that you live in. Uh, None of that, you know, not even the amount of toys that you have in your garage. But I think there is a law, a lie rather that kind of gnaws at us, telling us that we need to prove our value. And the truth is your value and your worth has already been determined by what Jesus did for you on the cross. He gave his life for you and you, there's nothing that you can do to prove what you're worth. It's already been done. Yeah. And you know, the American culture is screaming at us every single day, discipling us that we are who we are by our performance by how we feel, by what we own, by whether we win or lose. You know, I mean, we just, we don't get how, I don't think, I don't get how much I'm just inundated with this mindset Mm -hmm. and how it affects me. You know, it comes out of my own heart, but it's also screaming at me from my culture that this is where my worth comes from. You know, yesterday they were talking about some NFL quarterback and he wants his He's got to get at least $150 million guaranteed if he's going to sign that contract. You know, and it's all about this is what that guy's worth. Mm. And, you know, we as viewers listen to that. We think, gosh, I'm just not worth that much, you know, in a, in a sense of how, how I'm valued as a human mm. being. Mm-hmm. So it, this is just so important for us to get a hold of mm. every single day and twice on Sunday and, well, Many times a day and many times on Sunday. Yeah, I think what I think what you tapped into is really big as far as feeling like we're worth what we make. That, because that's what you're talking about with the with the yeah, athlete, right? You know, that. that he's worth what he makes or yeah, I've wrestled with this personally. There was a time that I was not getting paid for my contribution. Like I was working for someone and was told I would be paid a certain amount and it wasn't happening. And it, it messed with me big time. It wasn't like the money just wasn't coming in. It was messing with me internally. Sure. 
I was feeling taken advantage of and feeling like I wasn't valued for the contribution that I was bringing. And that can really mess with you if you think, if we think in terms of that. And so this whole like hamster wheel of having to prove our worth, we can hop off the hamster wheel and we can rest knowing Mm -hmm. that our value has already been determined. And I think that's, you know, so much of what Sabbath is about. We struggle with Sabbath because we think got to produce, got to produce, got to be effective, got to be, you know, got to make, got to be making things happen. And it's like, it's not about you. We can hop off of that crazy hamster wheel and rest in knowing that my value isn't determined by what I put out, by what I produce or by what I make. Yeah. There's a little phrase in, I think Psalm 127, it says, while they sleep, he's talking about, God's talking about his people or the psalmist is talking about his people while they sleep. He provides for those he loves Mm -hmm. while we sleep. God is providing for us. Yeah. And you know, when we're doing nothing, we have an incredible priceless identity when we're doing nothing. Yeah. Right. That's the beautiful thing to rest in. Romans five, eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If worth is determined by what someone will pay, then you, my friends, you are priceless because God gave his life for you. When I was 18 and Jesus found me at my worst, you know, and he forgave me. From that point on, I wanted to be completely dedicated to God. I wanted to be completely his, completely, you know, just surrendered to him. And that was my heart. It's been my heart since then. I wanted to live the whole of my life, not for myself, but for him. And here's what I've learned since then. I keep on falling short. I keep on falling short. But it's not like a deflating thing. Uh, It's, well, we'll talk more about it. Tim Keller is the founding pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. And he has this video series on YouTube Discovering the Gospel in Every Book of the Bible. Each episode is a book of the Bible in about 10 minutes. And in each book, Tim shows how that book he's in points to Jesus and to the one story of the Bible. Highly recommend it. It's it's awesome. And so in Leviticus, we see the only way we can even begin to be fully dedicated to God. Now, Leviticus, you know, if you're going to read through the Bible in a year, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus is usually where you end. <laughs> if you go chronologically as far as how it's laid out, you know, if you start yeah, with Genesis yeah. and you try to work your way through, Leviticus can be a bit of a yeah stretch. Yeah, it's a crazy book, but if anybody's going to give us a way through the book of Leviticus, it's Tim Keller. I've had many people say, well, Leviticus is just rules and rules and rules. So many rules. How in the world does that actually show us grace. It seems like the most legalistic book anybody's ever read. <laughs> and let's, let's not miss the forest for the trees. One of the reasons why the rules are there, things you can't touch, things you can't eat, things you can't uh, do, places you can't go. Uh, there was a practical aspect to this, and I'll just be very brief. Most Old Testament scholars say the practical aspect was for the Jews to stick with all the dietary laws and the clothing laws and all these laws that made them holy was a way of setting them apart from the other nations around them. 
so that they were able to keep their culture and not become uh, polluted with the idolatries around them. And it's very important to see that, that you know, the word holy does not just mean what you and I tend to mean, which is uh, very moral. No, literally the Hebrew word for holy means set apart. And you won't understand the word holy unless you re- realize that pots and utensils in the tabernacle could be called holy. You say, how could they be holy? Because they're moral? No, because they're set apart for the use of God. They're set apart. They are holy for God. They're dedicated to God. To be holy does mean, of course, a holy person is someone who's obeying the law of God, of course. But holiness is not just compliance to rules. Holiness is being wholly dedicated. <laughs> it is being, it's dedicating your life and doing everything, not for you and not for other people, but for God himself. And the reason why there's all these laws around Israel that, by the way, Jesus himself said this isn't true for Christian followers, they don't have to follow them today, was at that time in redemptive history, at that time in the storyline of the Bible, it was critical for, for the, the Jews to stay separate so that they, again, were not syncretists. They, did, they didn't bring in all kinds of non, non-believing and pagan ideas into their culture. The other way, though, so on the one hand, uh, you might say the holiness really, really shows a gospel principle, and that is that we're supposed to be dedicated to God, totally dedicated. The response to grace, getting out of Egypt, should be total dedication. But here's the other way in which I think the book of Leviticus actually um, speaks to the need for the gospel of grace. When you read through the book of Leviticus, you immediately realize there's no way anybody can do all this. <laughs> Nobody's going to be able to do this. It's too much. And it's in some ways, Leviticus, it's a way for Leviticus to say what is said elsewhere in the Bible, which is there's no one without sin. There is no one, no matter how hard you try, no one is without sin. And therefore you are going to need grace. Every one of the sacrifices points us to Jesus. There's the original, the burnt offering, which deals with our sin as guilt. There's the sin offering. If you read these very carefully, it deals with the fact that our sin disrupts relationships. Every single one of the the sacrifices points us to some aspect of how Jesus Christ saves us. Jesus deals with our guilt. Jesus pays our ransom and our debt. Jesus heals the relationships. So every one of the sacrifices points to an aspect of a wonderful salvation we have in Jesus. And of course, Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice because it's the way all sins are forgiven forever. By one sacrifice, our sins are forgiven forever. Wow, to be able to go through that and and just open it up so much there. On the one hand, it could be like super stressful because, you know, it points out how we fall short, right? But on the other hand, it's like all goodness because it's like, yeah, I've fallen short, but it's, I'm not stuck there Mm -hmm. because Jesus took the, you know, took my place. Yeah. So here's my take on it. And it's, it's right along with what you're saying. Jesus has rescued me from the dark side so that I can be his light so that my life can be all about him and not about me. That's the right response to grace, that my life be all about him. And yet I find that I keep circling back mm. to make it all about yeah, me. Right. But that just shows me 
that I still need grace. <laughs> and grace is the only chance I have to make my life all about him and not all about me. And so it just, it just keeps coming back to grace. Mm-hmm. The only way that we can live this life in, in Jesus, the only way we can live this life of dedicated to God is through his grace. And every time we come back to his grace, I think it just changes us a little bit more. It infuses God's power into us a little bit more and makes us a little bit more toward that fully dedicated to God. Does that make sense? It's, yeah. it's just we keep coming back to our need. All we need is need. That's it. That's it right there. You know, I mean, we're just always looking for the way to be self-sufficient, always looking for the track. If I could just put myself on that track and I can just keep going, then I'd be fine. But if I was fine, I wouldn't be drawing near to the heart of God. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so pride keeps us from becoming what we're called to be. And, yeah. you know, the, the fact that we keep blowing it humbles us and helps us become who we're meant to be. I don't know about you, but the freedom to be real, to be authentic, to take off my mask and just be honest with the people that, that I'm doing life with, it's the difference between life and death. Because, you know, when I was a teenager, I struggled so much and I was a believer. I struggled so much, but it never crossed my mind that I would ever open up about my struggles. Mm. No one ever modeled it for me. And so I just lived my teenage years struggling alone. And I realized from that, I didn't want to live my life that way anymore. And so I'm so grateful for that. Anyway, all that to say, Matthew West has this song, Truth Be Told, and here's the story behind his song. I've learned that it's possible to get more concerned about looking the part than living the part, to be more concerned about appearance than what's actually going on inside. Isaiah talks about it where it says, you know, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And if I'm being honest, that's described my story too many times. I'm really good at proclaiming my faith in Christ, but am I really pursuing a passionate relationship with Him? And meanwhile, we leave church and then we hear about so-and-so who had a moral failure. We hear about a marriage that ended. We hear about a kid who's being bullied and had nobody to talk to. Those were all people that we were in church with on Sunday. They were fine. What happened? Well, maybe what happened is they felt so isolated because instead of the church being a welcoming place where we could come authentically flawed, we felt like we had to cover it up. We felt like we had to pretend to be a professional Christian. Well, I wrote Truth Be Told because I don't want to be a professional Christian anymore. I want to be the first person who says, you know what? I got some messes, but I'm going to dare to believe that there's a God who loves me anyway. And I'm going to dare to believe that there's some other Christians who would love me anyways. So I'm putting it out there. Truth be told, and I hope you will too, be honest, be vulnerable, and trust that the Lord is never going to leave your side and trust that He loves you. And there's going to be people in your path that instead of judging you, they're going to love you. And that is going to be the key to finding true freedom in your life. It is never easy to open. It's never easy for me to be honest and vulnerable and real. And, I, and you don't do this with everybody. Mm-hmm. You do this with trusted people. But even with trusted people in my life, it's never easy for me to just open up my heart 
but it's always a good thing. And like I said, uh, in my teenage years, it never crossed my mind to share my struggles. And then people started modeling it for me and it gave me the freedom to open up. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the way I want to be for others is, is model that and give others the freedom to, to share their junk, you know, because we need to be set free from our junk. Yeah. And when we do model it and, and not, you know, not only just modeling it for the sake of saying, Hey, this is what it looks like, but genuinely being honest and, and putting ourselves out there. You know what I mean? It does. It cracks open the other door, the door for other people to, to also be honest yeah. and know that they can share, you know, genuinely, they don't have to have it all figured out and all wrapped up in a tidy little bow in order to share it. We can share what we're going through real time. So there's this gal that I saw this week. She's in high school and I could just see on her face that she is really, really hurting. I don't know, maybe not really, really hurting, but I can just see that she's wrestling mm-hmm. and I don't know what it is. And I, I asked her if, you know, I said, I'm a person who believes in prayer and is there anything I can pray with you about? And she said, I could just see the hurt on her face and kind of the fake smile. And, mm-hmm. and she just said, I'm good. Mm-hmm. And so I said, it may be just something in general. And she said, yeah, it's just something in general. Mm-hmm. So we just, we live in this, this culture where everybody feels like they got to put on that mask and they got to wear that mask. And man, so be that person who is willing to take the risk to tell the truth because you're going to give freedom for somebody else. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we talk about a lot here on Perry and Shauna Mornings is identity and purpose. Like who am I and why am I here? And I'm, I would tell you as a kid, as a child, I probably would have told you that I am here to sing the world into love relationship with God. Hmm. Noble. I just, <laughs> That's noble. Is it? <laughs> I guess. It I, sounds noble. Well, I dreamt about like life on the platform. I wanted to be the next Amy Grant. I had the stirrup pants and the, you know. Leopard. The leopard print jacket, like the black and white leopard print. Yes, I had it all going on. Hmm. And I just dreamt of like singing to thousands of people and, you know, showing them showing their agreement with me about what I was singing about by way of, you know, applause and album sales and, you know, yeah. agreeing, agreeing not, to what? Not so noble. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily that God is worthy of praise, you know, that maybe I was worthy of praise. I don't know. I think it was kind of hard to tell. I think my motivation was. Yeah a little immature and muddy, unclear. So who am I and why am I here? I think now at this phase of life, the more my answer is about me, the farther I am from actually knowing the truth Mm -hmm. of the answer. And I grew up in church. And so I knew how to package my dreams in such a way that they sounded really good, you know, but the truth is I have, even in my adulthood, taken the platform to lead worship and struggled with my own you know, wanting some personal praise as to how it went down. Same. Yeah. We can do that every morning here, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. Just keeping it real. So if you're a Christian who battles to live into your God-given identity, oh my goodness, you are not alone. And I think the key to winning this battle is complete surrender to God's will, like his daily will for our lives. Galatians 2.20 is one of my all-time favorite verses. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
and this is this is a reset that we need to make every day. And this this passage is a great reset. You know, is my life does God exist for me, or do I exist mm-hmm. for God? It's easy to twist those around. Yeah, and that's a universe of a difference. Yeah, it is. Is God for me, for my dreams, for my plans, for my goals, for my life, for my benefit? Does He serve me, or do I serve Him? And I have to repent mm-hmm. every day about it, about the pride that's in my heart that makes me want to make life about me. And so I love this reset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the reset straight from scripture. Oswald Chambers in reflecting on Galatians 2.20 says, these words mean the breaking and collapse of my independence brought about by my own hands and the surrendering of my life to the supremacy of the Lord Jesus. I am a bond servant of Christ. And he goes on to say, has that breaking of my independence come? All the rest is religious fraud. The one point to decide is, will I give up? Will I surrender to Jesus Christ, placing no conditions whatsoever as to how the brokenness will come? I must be broken from my own understanding of myself. When I reach that point, immediately the reality of the supernatural identification with Jesus Christ takes place and the witness of the spirit of God is unmistakable. I have been crucified with Christ. I love this, except that it's not a one-time thing. It, it comes across a bit of like, this is a, hmm. this is a point that you reach. And from my experience, I, I've never reached it. I'm reaching for yes. it. I'm reaching for it. Okay. Thank you for being honest about that. I feel yeah. like, I feel like so often in church, in Christian circles, in conversations as we're pursuing God, you know, we, we wait to tell our testimony. We wait to tell our story until we've experienced victory. It's not very often that we're honest about being right now in it. Yeah. And I am so right now in it, like pursuing God and wanting the freedom and wanting the independence from myself and like, totally aware of myself all the time. Yep. Like I'm living it out. And I, I hope that there's a day before I go off to heaven that I can say, man, I used to wrestle with that, but not anymore. Mm. But that is just not my right now reality. Yeah. Well, here's what I've found, sister, soul sister. Here's what I've found. Just keep throwing yourself on Jesus. Cause that's what I'm doing. As a boy, I longed to know that I was a part of God's forever family, but I didn't know. I wasn't sure. I wanted that assurance, didn't have it. I figured there was something I needed to do, some prayer I needed to pray. I just didn't know what it was to get that assurance and insurance. (laughs) Tim Keller is the founding pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City, and he has a video series on YouTube Discovering the Gospel in Every Book of the Bible, and each episode is a book of the Bible in about 10 minutes. And in Tim's take on numbers, we see that the only way to know that we are in God's forever family is to look away from ourselves and look look to Jesus. Jesus himself points out that in the book of Numbers, there's a place where the children of Israel sin and God sends his wrath against them by giving them a plague of venomous serpents. So there's a plague of serpents that come into the camp of Israel and they bite people and people are dying from the venom. And what is, uh, when the people turn to God and say, oh, you know, save us, God says to Moses, put an iron serpent up on the pole 
and let them just look at it. And when they look at it, they're healed. Jesus himself says, that's me. In the book of John, chapter 3, he says, just as the serpent was lifted up on the pole and all you had to do was look, I will be lifted up and I will save you. And you say, that's really interesting. Why? What's fascinating about that is when God said, just look at the serpent, what he was really saying is, you'll be saved by faith. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to crawl there. You don't have to do anything. You just have to look. And Jesus is actually saying, see, I save you not by anything you do, but just looking at me in faith. Uh, you may know that Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist minister, tells a story about how he got converted. He went to a little uh, chapel and there was a man that got up there who had very little education. I believe, if I remember correctly, there had been a snowstorm and the regular minister couldn't get there. So he gets up and he, he opens to a verse in uh, Isaiah 45, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And Spurgeon was one of the very few people in the, in the service that day. And this man got up and he said, my dear friends, this is a simple text indeed. It says, look, if you want to be saved, look. It's not lifting your foot or your finger, it's just look. Now a man need not go to college just to look. You may be a big fool, you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand pounds a year, you can look. Anyone can look, a child can look. And that's what the text says. It says, look unto me. Oh, says this preacher, many of you are looking to yourselves. No use looking there, you'll never find comfort in yourselves. And then he turned to Spurgeon and says, young man, you look very miserable. This Spurgeon sitting out there in the congregation. He turns and says, young man, you look very miserable and you will always be miserable in life and miserable in death if you do not obey my text. And at that point, Spurgeon says, I suddenly realized I'm saved by grace. I'm not saved by doing this or doing that. And he says, there and then the cloud was gone, Spurgeon says, the darkness was rolled away. And at that moment, I saw the sun, and I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ. The serpent in the wilderness. Salvation's by grace. Salvation's by Christ. Just look. Yeah, just look. And, and that's finally what I, what I experienced, just looking to Jesus. I wanted that assurance that I was in God's forever family. Couldn't get it. Thought I had to do something. But it's not about doing something it's about trusting someone. Ooh, that could be a t-shirt. It's not about doing something. It's about trusting someone, you know, for our place in God's family. And it's also, that's the process by which we are made more and more dedicated to God. It's by looking away from ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because when you, when you look away from yourself, you can't look at yourself. You know, if I'm looking at the clouds, it's not mm-hmm. about me. It's about the clouds. Just looking up at the clouds sometimes takes me out of my inner world and my self-focus. It just puts my life in perspective. How much more when we look to Jesus, that keeps me from my self-obsession and feeling like it's all on me for my salvation. This is the point I came to, you know, as a boy, where someone created a bridge for me to have faith, Mm -hmm. to put my faith in Christ and realize I don't have to do anything. Yeah. And I think, you know, the world that we live in, the culture that we live in is just a constant vying for our gaze, right? Like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at, look at your problems. 
Look at other people and how good they've got it. Look here, look there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it, it it takes intentionality, like great intentionality to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Or, you know, our culture will say, you know, you need to make your life about you. So you need to say, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, validate me, look how great I am. Mm. And that's how we're saved, if you will. That's how we're made to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so no superhuman feats required. We just have to look to Jesus. Even I can do that. We so enjoy the conversations that we get to have with you as you text in during the morning show. And we received this text from one of our listeners, and it's just straight up wisdom. And I would love to share it with you. So here it is. The very one who created all things decided within himself before all time to knit you together in your mother's womb. And then he came and died to save you so that he could spend all of eternity with you. The one whom he chose to create before time, you, knowing everything about you from your first breath to your last. He chose you. He chose us. That is love. He gave you life, existence, and directions on how to get back home to your father of all. Hmm. How beautiful is that? that? That's from Kristen, by the way. Oh, Kristen, just nuggets of wisdom. So good. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I just think, you know, when it comes to identity and identity is so connected to the presence of God, his desire to be with us, it's not some separate thing. It's, it is who you are. Because when we talk about identity, we talk about being wanted, about being loved, about being chosen, about all of these things. But like, it's not enough for me to hear that from somebody else. I need to hear those things from the Father himself, mm. from the Father himself. And it's it's not just some, you know, slight of chance where he's like, oh, I think I'll do this. Like before I ever did anything right before I ever did anything wrong. It was God's intention to be with me for all of eternity, to be with you for all of eternity. So he, he created you with the intention of being with you for all of eternity. And then when you and I made that not possible, he made a way for it to be possible once again. I mean, man, if there's any question in your heart at all or mind today, just know that you know that you know that you are loved. And think about this. There has never been a time in the mind of God, and he's eternal, there has never been a time that he hasn't loved us and that he hasn't wanted us to be with him. Never. Who you are. So good. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.